Welcome to Revisiting the Vault, a podcast where we're looking at the history of art, animation, music, and just about everything else, but through a Disney lens. This movie is 100% recommend from me. Yeah. And this is the first one in this whole podcast that has been a 100% recommend from me. I mean, Bambi... Is up there, but I think it's one of those where it's like, you know, how old is your kid? Can I handle right. it? Right. Is it a little bit scary? But Cinderella, you've got the mice. The mice are having, like, the slapstick. You've got a lot of really clever visual jokes. Mm-hmm. You called out the crown shape. Coming out of the window. I noticed when Lucifer is sneaking up the stairs, he kind of becomes liquid. Yeah. And, like, forms to the stairs for a second. They've got a lot of really clever visual humor in it. Cinderella's just got this sophistication to it, Mm -hmm. to the storytelling. And the pacing, it's a story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and things happen. It's funny. It's funny. I got a little bit with some of the scenes, some of the Tom and Jerry stuff. All of those could be cut by one or two minutes. But it's not like I'm sitting there like I was with most of the dwarves being like, how are we still on this? I mean, it was fine. And I think, again... Kids' tolerance for that is probably higher than mine. Also, if you think about a kid's attention span, it can be a little bit more episodic, and that works for that. They can follow the whole story, but if there are gags in the middle, like little intermissions for your brain where they're stringing beads on a mouse tail and Lucifer's trying to get them and all that stuff, and they're playing the cups game, fine. That works for kids. A lot of the gags serve the story, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And that was something that wasn't happening in Snow White at all. The gags, like, you know, they're stringing it on their tails because they've gone to get accessories for her dress because they're helping her out. There's a reason they're there. There's a reason that they think it's important. There's a reason they're trying so hard to do it. It could also be calculated and not in a bad way. The mice are cute. Mm -hmm. They make the story more fun. So put them in the kitchen scene. Who cares? And all of that leads to Gus being in the teacup, Mm -hmm. which gets her punished. They actually felt like they built this story rather than it being... Because, like, one of one of the many ways that you can lay out a screenplay is, like, literal note cards taped to mm-hmm. a wall. I have seen it in my home. <laughs> right, exactly. Snow White felt like all of the different animators got together and wrote a couple note cards, and then they pasted it up on the wall, and they didn't mm-hmm. think. Cinderella feels like they put the note cards up and then moved them around and then reread it and then made them flow. Mm-hmm. One scene goes into the next. This is here because it's going to establish this thing. Even something as simple as the Sing Sweet Nightingale bit. Yeah. Where we see that her stepsisters are truly awful at everything. And they are singing so terribly. But Lady Tremaine is going to keep make them keep practicing. Mm-hmm. Because she needs them to be ladies so that her plan will work. And then you go down to Cinderella, who is scrubbing the floor, which she has to scrub because Gus got in the teacup. But she's scrubbing the floor, and she's singing because she can hear it. And her song is beautiful. Not only is her song beautiful, I loved the animation in this Mm -hmm. and the music in it. She's harmonizing with the Cinderellas who are in the bubbles. And I read something where someone was claiming that this was one of the very first uses of double tracking. To let someone harmonize with themselves, I, that's a question mark. Yeah, it's something we can look up, but it it worked. It worked. It was beautiful. It was very well done. Like, I'm a big Eileen Woods fan now because of that. And also, mm-hmm. there's a little Easter egg there 
the bubbles make a Mickey. Oh, they have a hidden Mickey. There's a big bubble, and then there are the ears. And Cinderella is reflected in all of them. And I loved that whole scene. I loved the whole effect. Because you can kind of see the four-part harmony that you're hearing. I'm here for this. This is the kind of cleverness. That's another thing. It's the kind of cleverness that is not in Snow White. Mm -hmm. This is the movie where you're seeing Disney become Disney. Yep. Where you're seeing... The culmination of these things that whenever we're pulling out something where where we're saying like, well, they did this part really well and they did this thing. This is where it's just all a package. Yeah. And it's all there. I think the music really hits. The Cinderella and the Princess Love Song is kind of, okay, sure. That's the weakest one, I think. It's fine. I think that my problem with it is just kind of a relativism sort of thing. It's not the kind of power ballad duet that we expect in modern Disney right. right, love stories. And so then they're like, okay, let's let's have them sing a duet. Great. It's kind of not a great duet. Yeah, it's not the best one, but between A Dream as a Wish Your Heart Makes, Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo, and, truthfully, Sing Sweet Nightingale. Mm-hmm. And Cinderella. And Cinderella. Which is like the work song, I think is the yes. name of it. The work song, Cinderella, gets stuck in my head now. Oh, yeah. Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo, still. I mean, it's just, those are the songs... It's a heavy hitter on that yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, it is. And that, again, that's why this is kind of one the first soundtrack that was like, oh, that's a movie soundtrack. I will say of our viewing notes, um, we don't obviously do not need to go through this entire movie because we, we will be here till next March. But I mean, <laughs> right. from a practical standpoint, having that many mice in your room is really unsanitary. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> and the birds. The birds Ugh. helping you make your bed. Nope. And we both had a moment where we were like, why are the birds wearing hats? Yeah. And it just turns out that Cinderella's so bored, she's making clothes for all of mm-hmm, the animals. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fine, whatever. You know? Sure. Um, and then I actually had a, a question. Maybe you have some insight. Let's talk about Lucifer for a minute as a character. I had a note somewhere where I was like, is this a cat-hating propaganda movie? Yeah, it was funny. But I said... My very first notes about Lucifer was, isn't it just like a damn cat to turn its back when called? Everybody knows that story about a cat that's like, come here, kitty, kitty. And the cat like turns around and walks away. And yes, maybe you have insight into this. Lucifer, to me, especially his head shape, is straight up Cheshire Cat. Yeah, I started looking into that a little bit. And you had already noted that he is based on um, Ward Kimball's Mm -hmm. cat. And I think that that is... That's very much probably it. Because these two movies were in production at the same time. Let me just do a quick... Which, by the way, for anybody, Disney.Fandom.com has the Disney wiki that is just like... Yeah, it's great. I used that a bit. It is so detailed about so many things. To me, it was a lot of like just the facial expression. They grin in a way that is straight up not feline. But they both do it. And their head shape is very similar. And they do, to a certain extent, not have necks. It's a head and then a big egg-shaped body and a tail. Right. The Cheshire Cat was also animated by Ward Kimball and designed by Ward Kimball. Okay. So, so same designer. Yep. That man had a fat cat. <laughs> His cat was a six-toed calico. Okay. That cat was a firecracker. Also, I will say, though, I was fine with Lucifer. He is kind of a fat cat. He's got his mm-hmm. own special fancy bed. It's all this stuff. He's not Figaro-level animation, though. And maybe it's because he's not as cute, whereas Figaro is, like, walking cuteness. Yeah. But again, he's also kind of more of a character than Figaro. Right. But 
He's an antagonist. Yeah. Maybe he shouldn't be cute. Maybe we're not at the point where where yeah. evil can be cute. I think we're definitely not. Our evil stepsisters and Lady Tremaine have the hooked noses. Mm-hmm. Let's just go there with the stepsisters for a minute. That's the thing for me is that, like, oh, the, the bad guys are ugly. Mm-hmm. And does it go the other way, though? Are all the ugly people bad guys or is it just the bad guys are always ugly? Yeah. You've got, like, the Grand Duke and the mm-hmm. King. Who are sort of caricatures that are not, you know, sort of traditionally attractive, but men have always been allowed to be like right. that, especially older yep. men. You know, we only have one nice woman in the whole movie because we only have a handful of three women in the movie. Four. We have yeah. four women in this. I think Lady Tremaine, while she has a whole lot of villain look stuff that's done to her, I don't think that it's as exaggerated as her daughter. Right. She just kind of has severe features. She's given a regalness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's more refined. Although I did point out that her bedroom is purple and green when you first see it, and that's some straight-up villain colors, um, especially because it becomes Maleficent's colors. Lady Tremaine has other ways that they make her villainous Mm -hmm. without just making her straight-up ugly, but she isn't meant to look attractive. She's meant to look like somebody who used to be attractive, I think. Right, But her daughters, I mean, they go out of their way. Oh, gosh, they have gigantic feet. They have really annoying voices. They have very coarse features. Their faces are drawn in a way because they give them jowls and it makes them look old. And that's another thing, you know, I kind of feel like I'm just constantly plugging the 2015 live action one. But Kate Blanchett was Lady Tremaine in this. And you oh, can't yeah. make that woman unattractive. Right. You could cover her in warts and she would still be something else. Yeah. This is not a comparison of the two movies. That's not the point of this episode. But in that case, it really kind of depends on the the strength of her acting to convey mm-hmm. how you know whereas eleanor eleanor oddly whereas like she gets it she gets the job done with her voice and then with the help of the mm-hmm. animation kate blanchett she does it all with the acting you know i just watched ever after last mm-hmm. night one of the reasons that i love ever after so much is that they make sure that you get more motivation from the stepmother. Yes. It's the same in the live action. You know, Angelica Houston, again, her features are sharp. Yep. But she is regal. And she is refined. And that's the that's what she's giving. Mm-hmm. One of the other reasons I do love Ever After is because the stepsisters are actually beautiful. Same with the live action one. They are pretty, but they yep. are spoiled little bitches. I do find it interesting that a lot of adaptations have tried to make at least one of the stepsisters better. Mm -hmm. Part of what they do when they make one of them better and they make one of them not so bad is they actually expose more of the issues with the stepmother. Like, it's not purely just being jealous of Cinderella. It is all, it is very much like status, social climbing. Though in Ever After, they really give her an undercurrent of grief that... It's just barely, like, it's just a little tiny thread. But Angelica Houston plays it for all it's worth. Mm-hmm. That adaptation, I think Linda Holmes says something about how it's not as much of a fairy tale as it is in, as Cinderella by way of rom-com. And I'm like, it is. Yeah. For me, for the live action one, Kate Blanchett all but says, or Lady Tremaine all but says, listen, I'm not going to let my girls have the rough go I've had. I married for love. It didn't work out. I'm going to set these girls up. And her motivation is really clear. And honestly... She is bad, don't get me wrong. She's not a caricature of bad, though. And her motivation is, it's also pure. The core of Lady Tremaine's character is that she will cut a bitch if she needs to. 
Yes. Like, she is bad. I'm waiting for the day that there's a, you know, a whole detailed backstory invented for her for how she ended up this way. Disney's working on it. They've already made the Maleficent movie and the Cruella de Vil movie. Like, they're, they're going to get to Lady Tremaine one day. And again, this is an hour and 15 minute long animated movie. We don't need to know their entire life histories and what made them who they are. When you come back to it, it's an hour long. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of uh, places in it where things in the plot, in the character, in the backstory, you could say that they're sketches. But there's the skeleton. You can feel that there's a skeleton. You know, at the end of it, I might have things where I'm like, oh, I wonder who was Lady Tremaine's first husband? How did that go? What happened there? Question mark. Is she, you know, she's Lady Tremaine. What rank does she really have? Because like again and ever after, she's the Baroness. Her husband's a commoner. So you're like, why did the Baroness marry? Yeah. You know, what happened to the queen? Did she die young? What's going on there? Why does the king only have one son? Why is the king obsessed with babies? (laughs) I have all those questions, but it's not like not knowing makes the movie not work. The movie works. And it doesn't change your enjoyment of the film. That's the thing. Right. I'm not sitting there so tied up in it that it makes me mad that I don't know. I mean, I would love to know why the king, the king is so baby obsessed that it gets weird. Yes, like that dream he has where the children are climbing all over him. Yeah, it gets really weird. Because at the beginning, when he's just like, I'm not getting any younger. I want to hear the pitter-patter of little grandchildren. I'm like, okay. Fine. As somebody that doesn't have kids, I've dealt with plenty of people who... My parents aren't that way and my in-laws aren't that way. But that that whole thing of like, I can't wait to have grandchildren and all that... I have experienced that. Yeah. It's such a thing. So I was totally fine with it at the very beginning. Um, And then he's just like, we're going to have a ball and it's going to be tonight. I've read enough Regency Mm -hmm. literature that I was like, you are doing what now? Yeah. No, sir. But then when they get to the ball and he starts going on and I'm just, and then he has the dream and then he keeps going. You've you've gone too far, sir. Yes. Okay. Quick aside and then we can get into all of that. I thought that scene was hilarious, even though I was really, I really kind of didn't like the king. Yeah. Why was Horse Gus not fat? Because that is a missed opportunity. That would have been funny. Secondly, jumping to the end, they're in their little guard uniforms. You know, they look like drum majors again, like Timothy the Mouse. Right. His is still too short, and he still has a little fat Gus belly, and it's adorable. And then also, I think you and I both had questions about how come Bruno and... Rusify, do not speak. Mm. And the horse. Apparently the horse originally had a song. Well, I'm glad they cut that, if we can be honest. Yeah, they they didn't need it. I don't need a horse song. You know, it doesn't make sense with Bruno, which also every time they said the word Bruno, I got the song from the cancer stuck in my (laughs) head. But Lucifer, I can be like, okay, well, Cinderella didn't teach him to speak. And also there's a whole thing of like cats perfectly understand English. They just choose not to acknowledge that. Yes. And it's the whole, isn't it just like a damn cat? Yep. And the thing is, I really don't care about any of those things. It was just like, well, huh, the mice are speaking. And like, maybe they didn't want to hire voice actors. It was just an observation, you know? It's again, it's one of those things that like, you know, you get to the end of it and it's a question mark. Yeah, fine. Whatever. For sure. Okay, so the ball. I love the part where the Grand Duke is he's so bored with this whole thing and he's laying back and he's using his monocle as a yo-yo. And he's like, so this is how it's going to be. And he's making up this story that happens to be a perfect narration of what's happening below. Also, I noticed the the king's voice actor was the same, and the Grand Duke. They were one person. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the same actor. I somehow missed that. He gets through the whole thing, 
And the king, he's like, whoa, whoa, you pompous windbag. And I was just like, that is, is so good. And then, like, I love the part where he's just so bored. He can't be bothered to look down. I really enjoyed the character of the Grand yeah. Duke. And when you have the first scene with him and the king, mm-hmm. I didn't think I would. I thought he was, like, yeah, probably going to be sort of the stereotypical lackey. Like, he was being a little sarcastic with the king in that scene, but not, like, a ton. But then he just gets more and more character every time he shows up. He falls asleep when they go to the shoe fitting. Yes. I'm over it. I'm so tired of all of this business. Like, we're over it. But he also, like, pushes back at Lady Tremaine. She's like, I'm so sorry. This won't happen again. And he's like, you're damn right it won't. Yeah. We're moving on to the next daughter. Like, what is... Just just stop. They just really give him... Again, it's a lot of character in only a few lines and only a few emotions. Yeah, and it's some depth of character, even. He's like, no, cut your shit. I like that. Okay, so if we're at that part of the movie, can we talk about pockets? <laughs> so, like, pockets... I would just like to point out that two women and saying, can we talk about pockets, is possibly opening a can of worms. 100%. There are so... I mean, <laughs> this has been discussed almost ad nauseum in our culture, and I am not going to do a deep dive on it. I will say... Women have always had pockets. They just weren't built into their clothes. Mm -hmm. There was a period where women's pants were not given pockets. There were two things. One, they didn't want to ruin the silhouette. That's the biggest thing. Which is still what they say today. Yeah. And that's why our pockets are shitty. They're shallow and they're terrible and you can't fit your... Especially if you have a phone that is the size of mine, which is roughly a flat screen TV, you can't fit it into a pocket. Fine, whatever. It has to go in your back pocket. Yeah. And then also... There's this whole thing about women having possessions. The thing is, that part, it doesn't really hold up so much because there were women going around collecting rents and they needed a place for their cash. Mm -hmm. There were women who had keys to side doors to their properties, to the street doors, to the store cupboards. They needed a place to put them. They had pockets. They just were not built into their clothes. And it's not just the little reticule Mm -hmm. that women carried, the little drawstring purse. They actually had tie-on pockets that they would wear either under their paneers, under their petticoats, between their apron and the petticoats, blah, 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 blah. They for sure had pockets. It's not the same as what we are allowed to have now, and I use that term tongue-in-cheek. But again, they were not built into their clothes, and that's why it's actually been viewed as a big whole thing. Now, that being said, they also, you know, in many cases, were not as deep as they should have been, or as you would like them to be, and the nature of them, some of them were really gorgeous, but there are, like, dolls that are in, like, the Victorian Albert Museum from the late 1690s. It's a doll with a bunch of changes of clothes, and she's got a damn tie-on pocket. Right. So, they absolutely had pockets. They just, they were harder to get to, and not as handy. That being said, let's, let's move on. They were not a standard part of an apron. And... Lady Tremaine's pocket is certainly not an accurate representation of where the pocket would be. She, it's for sure not on the outside of her dress. And Cinderella would have a hell of a time hiding a shoe in a pocket. Right? Like, come on. I don't even know where she brought that out from. I know. From. It's like, where, where were you keeping that shoe, Cinderella? <laughs> because... Did you have it in a backpack that we didn't yeah, notice? Where on your person? Were you carrying... Was it strapped to your thigh? What's happening? It's a magic shoe. It was... Yeah, it poofs in and out of existence when you need it. Especially if you consider the silhouette of her dress. And it is a glass slipper. 
Those are not flexible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even collapse down like a ballet slipper might. Like I could see putting a ballet yeah. slipper in your pocket. This is a glass high-heeled shoe. One of the things that I noticed when I was watching Ever After is that she has the, the glass slippers in that one have glass heels and then they have glass beads on a like a leather mm-hmm. top. When the prince pulls it out in the last scene, he's had it like stuffed in one of yeah. the things on his shirt because... You know, men had a million places to stuff things. They had pockets. They had pockets. And so he pulls it out and it's squashed all to hell. Yes. Just, it makes me laugh looking at it. Well, and I did read that it's possible that part of the problem was a mistranslation that the word for fur is the way you say it in French is also said extremely similar to the word for glass. Okay. They're both like fair. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's a theory. That, like, the reason we think of it as a glass slipper instead of a fur shoe is because of a mistranslation. You know, that changes the story dramatically. Yes. The fairy godmother's like, we need more mice because i got to make you some fur shoes. <laughs> <laughs> the design of the glass slipper in this version of Cinderella has always been my least mm-hmm. favorite. Because it is very much, it looks and feels exactly like a Barbie shoe. That's exactly what I was going to say. It is a Barbie shoe. And anyone that grew up playing with Barbies knows that Barbie shoes barely fit Barbie feet. Right. They barely stay on Barbie feet. And Barbie's feet are permanently molded to be in high heels. Yes. All of the above. I did read something that pointed out that she actually um, also loses a shoe walking up the stairs to bring everybody her breakfast. Yes. I saw that too. She's got something about shoes. Maybe she's got one funny foot. Maybe uh, one foot is smaller than the other or something. But she doesn't have toes on that side. I did not remember that Lady Tremaine trips the guy to shatter the slipper. Yeah. That she's willing to go that far. Granted, this whoever this little footman is at this point, you know, he doesn't have a name or a character or a voice actor. No. But did he know that he was intentionally tripped and could point the finger at her for that? I don't know. Right. But if he could, she would be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, she'd be guilty of something. <laughs> and that's one time where she's just being a bitch for the sake of being a bitch. Because it's over for her kids. That is very much a, I can't let Cinderella have anything. Yeah, maybe I can't win, but neither can you. Honestly, that one scene is the one part of this movie where, you know, there's always like somebody who is kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, kind of the idiot. Mm -hmm. And that's the one scene, like the Grand Duke is nobody's fool. The King is really nobody's fool. Lady Tremaine surely is not anybody's fool. We don't know about the Prince because we don't know his name. His name May or may not be Henry, but it is definitely not in the movie. He's not even actually technically called Prince Charming, apparently, in the movie or the credits or anything like that. Yeah. So Hank, presumably, is well-educated because he's a prince. But then there's this one guy who's carrying around a glass slipper on a pillow. An open pillow, not even in a box. No, it's not in a box. There's no... At least You could put a lid over that thing. Or, like, do, like, a ring bearer's pillow where it's tied down. Yeah. Give it a little cloche. Yeah, you know, something, 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 something. And I think that's honestly, that's another thing that's kind of to their credit making this movie. There's what, six characters in the whole damn movie? Seven? Right. Who yeah. have eight, fairy godmother, I guess. And there's only the one guy who is straight up ding dong level stupid. Yeah, I was actually kind of like counting the voice actors in this list, but it doesn't really work because the king and the grand duke are the same voice actor. Right. So are Jack... Gus and Bruno. I guess he just did the vocalizations yeah. for Bruno. Human characters. There's four women. Fairy godmother. So five. Yeah. And then the king, the prince, and the grand duke. And then that one poor footman. 
And the prince has two lines, maybe. Yeah. I know he does speak, especially because he's got, she's got the line where she's like, oh, but I never met the prince. That's why I have to leave. And he's like, uh, wait, uh, hold on. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, didn't realize you weren't aware. No, I have to go. And he's like, so soon? And she's like, yeah, I gotta meet the prince. And yeah, that's it. Those are his lines. Yeah, that's pretty much all he says. Which again, you know, he's a caricature. I think, honestly, in a way, this is going to be a heteronormative thing for me to say, but in a way, he is just there for little girls to put a character onto. Sure. But in that scene, and I think in a lot of the movie, the idiot are the stepdaughters. Mm-hmm. But even in that bit, they're calculating. Yes. Like Lady Tremaine, when she's like, don't you think so, Drusilla? And she, or Drizella, see, I'm saying it wrong again. She turns around and she's like, she notices that those are her beads, which for the record, do not match the pink gown. No, they look terrible. Those are terrible. And then they go bonkers. And they are, because they're like, oh, no, you need to fix this for me. Oh, no. Like, they're in on it. They're just not the instigators. Well, I mean, even the scene where, like, Anastasia's trying to cram her foot into this thing. And she's Mm -hmm. like, no, no, I can do it. It's just my my feet are a little swollen from all all the dancing, you know. But Drizella does that thing where, like, she, like, hides part of her foot with her dress. Yeah. They're conniving. They're still being a little dumb. Now, we may as well go ahead and address this. A lot of people love to go on about how Disney took the dark parts out of the story because the stepsisters originally cut off their toes and they healed their foot. I don't know that any of that was in the original French version. Didn't seem to be from what I was reading. That was something that Grimm, the Grimm brothers brought in. The Grimm brothers have their faults and their benefits. Uh, I'm losing a good word for that to be the opposite of faults. But there's been, rightfully so, some thoughts lately about how the Grimm brothers actually made things darker when they wrote them down and why they did and where they did, like who, yeah, who they gave worse fates to um, and who got more punishment. There's some really good stuff there that I'll try to look up before we do anything based on Grimm again. Honestly, really? I'm not going to get upset about that. I would not show a movie to my daughter, especially if she were younger than she is now, where girls cut off their toes to fit in right. a slipper. No. As we established, this myth, the origins of this myth, go back almost before the written word. Right. To start being like, Disney took out the original. Grimm was not original. Double underline. If, if people take nothing else from me, the Grimm fairy tales were not original. The Grimm brothers did not actually write pretty much any of it. It was based on things that they walked around asking people, tell me your stories. And then they wrote them down and they edited and changed them. And they based them on multiple people telling them multiple versions. And it's a whole big, I am positive that Smithsonian's folklorists have done great dives into this. Right. Especially with Cinderella, Grimm was not the original. And Grimm was not even what it was based on. It was based on something that predated Grimm by like, what, 100, 200 years? Yes. You know, six. 1600s that it was originally written so i don't understand people's need to be dark (laughs) do you want to watch a movie where somebody's cutting their toes off personally no okay a lot of people do (laughs) well okay fine yes do you want to watch a princess movie where somebody's cutting their toes off no not really i have a lot of things to say about how we've moved into a real phase with our pop culture where everything has to be grim dark Mm -hmm. and my whole thing is don't mistake darkness for depth Right. Especially early and mid-2000s and 2010s. 
it was very much this idea of like to be real and to be realistic and to be gritty worth anything it has to be gritty it has to be dark it has to be all the worst things about humanity no it doesn't i mean you can tell a great story and just have the women's feet be really big yeah and that's, I mean, that was one thing that my daughter even, so my daughter had some notes. She watched it with me. I loved your daughter's notes. I hope that she gives us notes from now on. She says, uh, the stepsisters are numbskulls and all of the women have fat butts. She also did comment on how big the stepsisters' feet were because they have like bunions. Like they have very right. clunky, they've got like troll feet, really. Their feet are disproportionately large. They are clown shoe feet. Yes, exactly. They're like walking on canoes down there. So <laughs> anyway, you know, we talked about it. She's like, I want to know what your notes are. And I read them all to her. She was with me on most of it. I mean, like, I don't, you know, obviously she's nine and I'm not asking her to watch the movie with a critical eye. Right. And she agreed. There was one thing that I had wanted to say, one little bit of animation, because like, you know, until we started this podcast, I've never really looked at animation for its artistic quality Mm -hmm. because I'm not a filmmaker and I don't really even watch movies that much. I guarantee you because of this podcast, I will have watched more movies this year than I have in the last seven (laughs) minimum possibly 10 that being said in the chase scene from the castle so everything has gone back to its original pumpkin mouse horse right. state and the pumpkin is sitting on the road and the castle horses trample over it and with every step you see the magic sparkle kind of just get trampled right out of it and i was like oh man that is brilliant she's going back to her life and you see it just squished I always go on, because people will ask about, like, you know, well, going to film school and learning how to make movies, doesn't that ruin movies for you? And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It makes me more angry at bad movies. But generally, my feeling is that what that does is it gives you more vocabulary. I was just going to say, it gives you the vocabulary to understand it and discuss it better. Yeah. And it also makes you more, you just notice those things in a conscious way rather than an unconscious way. Right. So... My hunch is that both of us watching this when we were kids, Ingrid watching this, you know, we probably saw that. We felt what it meant. Mm-hmm. That's a whole long tangent. Let's get back on track here. <laughs> Cinderella. Cinderella, 1950. Mm-hmm. We're getting into, like I said before, we're getting into like that first golden age of Disney. We're getting into the movies. The movies that made our generation, because these are the ones that came out on VHS when we were young. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that people remember. These are going to be the ones that people are going to have the fondest memories of, where they're going to want to fight us the most if we say something's bad. As Cinderella stands out to me because it doesn't, have that objectionable stuff in it where mm-hmm. I'm like, it might have been the time. But the worst thing is leaving the sewing to the women. Yeah. That's the worst thing I can think of that they say in it that's really overt. And in the end, one of the boy mice is helping them sew anyway. Yes. He's on the inside, right? Is that the right, part? Right. Yeah. They're passing the, the needle back and forth with one of them on the inside and one on the yes. outside. I, I just, I watched that and I was like, I really need helper mice to help me sew because I'm not that good. Oh man, helper mice would be so great. I know. They were way better than me at that. For the record, I had to look up Christian Dior and I'm sorry because this mm-hmm. is a total tangent. He actually died in 57. So his active time was in the 50s, but still my point remains. This is a movie that like, Things could have gone worse. Yeah. We could have had some of that casual racism creep in here. And I don't know where it's going to creep in again. Oh, wait. No, I do. It's going to be Peter Pan. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is something. There's a few things when I was going through the list where I'm like looking at this list at what's to come. And off the top of my head, 
I can name the racist or sexist stuff. Right. Don't get me wrong. I love these movies. This is what we're going to get into is that dichotomy of loving these movies, but understanding that they have issues. And the reason that that hasn't come up so much yet is because I didn't love Dumbo as a kid. It was fine. I'm not invested in defending Dumbo. Yeah. Who knows how I'm going to get with some of the later ones. But this is all a tangent to the fact that Cinderella doesn't have that stuff. No. And some of it is by virtue of it being straight up excluded. But all the same, with that in mind, that is honestly to its credit Mm -hmm. because it couldn't help but be racist had it been in there. It would be nice if there were more inclusion, but in this case, it saves it from a lot of racism. And so it's like, all right. Right. And now we can remake these stories with a modern lens and with an appropriate cast and do better. I mean, they did the version of Cinderella that had Brandy. Mm -hmm. I think it's the Rodgers and Hammerstein. I would have to take your word for it. Again, this is Cinderella is a story that is ubiquitous and universal for a reason. Yes. And it doesn't really have to matter what the cultural context that it's set in is because there's a Greek origin story version. There's a Chinese origin story. Mm -hmm. There's one for everywhere. So who cares what the setting is? The story is still very similar, if not the exact same. The live action Little Mermaid, they did not hire a white girl to play Ariel. Mm -hmm. The internet exploded. Yeah, they got real mad. The internet is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Weird. Because it's fine. Because Ariel is a fictional character. Wait, what? I have whole rants, especially when it comes to, like, Spider-Man. And people were trying to get, specifically Donald Glover, to get hired to play Spider-Man. And then, you know, Miles Morales came on in the comics. And then they did the animated Into the Spider-Verse. And so there's a whole lot of ranting and rhetoric about, like, but Spider-Man's a white guy. How can you just turn him black? And I'm like, but he's also not real. Yeah, he's also a Spider-Man. I mean, why not do it and see if it works? Yeah. The great things about these stories that we revisit, and what I wish we would do more often. This is why I don't love these live-action remakes, actually. Mm -hmm. What I wish we would do more often when we revisit these stories is actually try different things and see if they work. Sometimes they won't. Right. Maybe sometimes they're not good. Maybe sometimes the fairy tale retelling doesn't land. And the thing is, like, no, if you don't like it, nobody said you had to marry it. Right. Okay, well, you know what? Hang around and somebody's going to try it again. And maybe that one will be more what you want. Yeah. We've gotten so many different, like I said, there's a version of Cinderella where she's a cyborg from the moon. They're very good books. <laughs> you can do what you want with these. Yeah. You just need to take this skeleton and... See what's interesting. And you can keep and ditch whichever parts of it you want. Right. I don't understand being beholden to tradition, which is kind of a side note because this Cinderella is very beholden to tradition. It is. But in a way that's fine. It's good. It's enjoyable. It's fun. It doesn't have anything where you're going to have to give a content warning. Right. You don't have to apologize over it. I don't have a problem with it through a feminist lens either because I understand that the past was a different time. And in 1950, when this was released, women weren't allowed to have credit cards. Totally. When this movie came out, Cinderella actually has more agency and choices that she makes in this movie than some of the women did at the time it was made. Women in the workforce is very weird right when this movie is coming out. Right. Because women went into the workforce when the men went to war. And everyone, all of the men expected that when the men came back, the women would go back into the kitchens. Yes. And in the United States, they had only relatively recently earned the right to vote. And when I say earned, been granted. (laughs) You know? Right. The 19th Amendment was 
fairly new because yeah. that was Wilson. Right. You know, women went to work in the factories and they were doing everything for the war effort. And then at the end of the war, they were told, okay, well, now it's time to go home. And they, to their credit, the women of this time in 1950 were starting to say, no, Yeah. I don't want to. Right. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I want to keep doing this. Yeah. The war ended in 45. This is only five years later. Right. So America is still very much in the middle I don't even want to say in the middle. They're in the very beginning stages of this struggle that obviously, as we record this, is still freaking happening. hot issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, what could I possibly be referencing? People wanting to rag on Cinderella and say that it's it's teaching women the wrong lesson or it's teaching girls the wrong... I don't think it's teaching girls any bad lessons. I don't. Right. Because as we discussed, she's not passive and... She does actually take the first opportunity she sees to get out. Right. She does do what she needs to do to take care of herself mm-hmm. in a terrible situation. Yep. She's just in a terrible situation that she sees no way out of because she had no way out of it. And mm, that's not unrealistic even now. Right. I mean, for me, it is a recommend. I mean, if you have children, I guess you just want to make sure that I'm trying to figure out how to make this sentence gender neutral. And I'm not quite sure how, because it's something that's steeped in the sexist tropes of the 50s. But just make sure they understand that, like, you're not going to fall in love with a guy in one night and actually live happily ever after, probably. Probably. Like, just, if you do fall in love in one night, just wait a while to get married, to be sure. Give it six years. Yeah. I waited five years. Yeah. You know. Give it five. Give it five. Give it a good while. Go on a road trip together. Mm -hmm. Go on a vacation together for a while, even if you don't live together beforehand. Even if you're not going to go camping, set up a tent together. You can tell a lot about (laughs) a relationship where people have to set up a tent together. You will either break up or get married. (laughs) Like, that's the lesson that I think if... You're watching these princess movies, and if this princess culture is really, like, getting into your kids' heads, that's the only part of it that I think is is an important thing to make sure they understand, is that because this is a movie, they have to make it short. Right. Because we also don't know how long between the proposal... And the wedding. Until the wedding. Maybe. We have no maybe idea. They had a, Could have been five years. Yeah, maybe they had a five-year engagement, like my grandparents. We don't know. Yeah. Maybe war broke out. We've got no idea. We have no idea. We don't know what's going on. I mean, the king probably wouldn't let that happen because he wants all the babies, but... No, yeah. He was like, wake me up when he proposes. I know. Anywho. So, recommend. Yeah, recommend. You know, and Alice in Wonderland. We'll see. We'll see how that one goes. And Alice in Wonderland, we'll see. Truthfully, I have never watched this movie. I can recognize Alice. Alice in Wonderland is another one of the... It's not like a folklore myth, right. the way that Cinderella is, but it is one that, like, just, it has such an impact in so many ways. There's been so many adaptations. There's been mm-hmm. so many ways to look at it. So that's going to be interesting yeah. to see, sort of, where it lands, what it feels like, whether or not there are racist mushrooms. We don't know. We don't know. There probably are. Stay tuned. <laughs> Revisiting the Vault is a nine-hour films production and is edited by Mary Ratliff. Our music is by Music Motion and Lynn Publishing. We are not affiliated with or authorized by the Walt Disney Company. You can find us on Twitter at RevisitTheVault, and you can find our website at RevisitingTheVault.com. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. Patrons can get personalized thank you cards, stickers, and access to deleted scenes and outtakes. 
You can find that over at patreon.com slash nine hour films. If you want to support us, the best thing you can do is to tell other people about the show and make sure that you leave a review in whatever app you're using to listen. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.